Special thanks to our promotional partners at the American Philatelic Society. The APS is the largest stamp collecting organization in the world, supporting collectors of any level worldwide. For more information about membership and APS services, visit stamps.org. I'm Charles Epting from H.R. Harmer in New York City. And I'm Michael Cortese of Noble Spirit in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. And this is Conversations with Philatelists. Um, Michael, I'm back in the office. As you can tell, there's no uh, cat running around this episode. Uh, loved the YouTube comments that uh, mentioned Nigel, though he appreciated them as well. And uh, yeah, it's good to be back in my natural environment, surrounded by uh, philatelic books. And uh, today is is a, an interview that I'm I'm really looking forward to. I think this is going to be a uh, be a fun one. Yeah, today we're talking to Constanza Dennis. Um, she's a one of the chief auction describers at, at Grosvenor Philatelic Auctions in the the Strand. Yeah, um, part London. part of this um, great you know London philatelic scene. We've talked to George James and. Uh, Talk to the, the folks that uh, think briefly, and uh, it, it, you know, there's this great um, group of uh, young professionals in the United Kingdom who are uh, really uh, at the cutting edge and the forefront of um, of the British auction scene. Yeah. Uh, so I love I love talking to, to people like this. I think Constanza will be a a, a really fun conversation for us to have. Uh, I, I personally don't know her story. I know her uh, from her position at Grosvenor, but I don't know how she got there. So yeah. I think that'll be uh, you know again we've we've heard so many different paths to uh professional philately that um that, that uh it, it's it's it'll be interesting to to hear a a new story yeah yeah the stories are are or people's introductions into the hobby are, are kind of half the reason we're here we as we learned with with carol bamarito you know there's no right path into no the hobby. some people just into it, into it. Any, some people yeah. you know have it all meticulously planned out i think it'll be uh again i'm, I'm really looking forward to this and uh you know, the, the the more I miss traveling to the UK for for stamp shows and things like that, the more I enjoy talking to our um, uh, British colleagues and counterparts. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, again, talking to Constanza will be uh, will be really nice. What do you say we bring her on? Absolutely. Here we go. I'll bring her in. Hello, hello. Hi, uh, Constanza. Thank you so much for joining us today and taking the time out to talk to us. That's all right. Um, how are you guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good. Thanks. Uh, how, how about yourself? That's all right. The sun has just started to come out, which is remarkable, given I'm in Great Britain. But um, so yeah, that's quite nice. But yeah, no, all good here. All good here. Great, great. All right, we'll just we'll kick things off. I figured we'd we'd cover um, Grosvenor a lot. Your your experience uh, through the hobby, how what kind of got you into everything, um, and then complicated story. Is it? Yeah. I look forward what, to what, that. what a great place to start off then. I, we, we'd love to hear this complicated story, how you um, ended up in, in your current position. And, um, uh, you know, your, your bio on the, on the Grosvenor website says that you studied uh, physics, I believe, which is not a, not a typical um, background for a philatelist, I would say. So how did you, uh, how did you end up here? Um, I mean, this will be about, this will take about, well, basically <laughs> I, where do I begin? I mean, I got into stamps completely by accident. I was about, when I was about um, 15, I, because I'm from, well, I used to live in what's called a council house, and also it's like where poor people live, blah, blah, blah. They, um, Oxford University did this like outreach program where they like rounded up a load of commoners basically to go and look around the university for a week. And um, when I was there, we had a day, a free day to go and do whatever we wanted for the day. And so I went around all the charity shops looking for clothes and stuff. And then I just happened to see a packet of stamps and on the front, like the front stamp was this really cute little tea set on a, on a stamp. And then, um, that's when I first just bought some stamps and that kind of stemmed from there. But I wasn't intending remotely to 
working stamps, I um, obviously saw on the, on the on the website I um, was always very, very into physics. So I went um, went off to do physics, thinking I'm going to be a physicist. Like I always wanted, to, since I was about 12 or 13, I wanted to be in mainly in medical physics and sort of design brain scanner stuff like that. And um, so yeah, I went off to university, took the stamp collection. Didn't make me a lot of friends, remarkably enough. Um, and then I, yeah, at the end of my first year um, at university, I got diagnosed with leukemia. So I had to drop out. Um, well, I didn't have to drop out. I could have gone back, but I um, I really didn't like Oxford. I mean, I hated, I mean, I love the learning element, but I'm not, again, I'm very left-wing. I'm very socialist. And the whole concept of Oxford University wasn't really for me as a, as a thing. So um, then obviously I got better from the cancer. And then I was like, well, what the hell am I going to do in my life now? And then um, I liked, the other thing I liked apart from physics was stamps. So I did some work experience um, at an auction house in London, like a, a general antiques auction house. And then I got my first job at Sandifer, which is a small postal auction. I don't know if you've heard them, but they're not, they're not, they're quite, actually, they're quite a big, they're quite a big auction house. And then I, uh, I worked there for a year and then they got rid of half their staff, um, me included. And then I had a few job offers and I just picked Grosvenor because it seemed like the most fun. So that's how I ended up. <laughs> Ended up here. So I did warn you, it is a bit a weird, weird, complicated story. But so yeah, plan B basically became plan A and now, you know, stick with it's gone quite well, so stick with it. Yeah. That first general auction house, how different was it going from collector to auction lot describer? Did you find that it was challenging there was a slight learning curve? I mean, I, a lot of I feel like a lot of people have feel like there's this massive barrier between philatelists people who collect and then people who describe auction lots but how was the, the mentality of you have to think about it because before you're just thinking about if it's interesting whereas it's getting the mentality of the first thing you think about i guess now when you work in stamped as the value of an item mm-hmm. when someone passes me a thing i'm thinking is what is this worth how much yeah. you know so that i guess your kind of mindset changes from before you're just looking at it because it's interesting whereas it then also mm-hmm. has this kind of i guess the the financial element where i think i find it hard because i don't it's difficult, I guess you have to say the way it's it's the element of having to tell people that while their stamps are interesting, they're not valuable. Mm. And I think that was the biggest the biggest thing for me was to have to be enthusiastic about the not have to be, but you know, enjoying chatting about them with the enthusiasm because their stamps and they're great, but also I guess having the more negative side that you have to then tell a lot of people that their stamps aren't super valuable. So I guess yeah. there wasn't that slight more like there was more issues to deal with in that regard, just that it's no longer just fun and games. There's also the more serious element of these people's investments, these people's inheritances, and it's not always the outcome that they want. So I guess there's a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a, cause you, yeah, cause and there's also the volume of things that aren't worth a lot of money. So you go from everything being exciting, and then you have people coming in and you're having to repeatedly say, this is interesting, but not valuable. So I guess that's the main thing was that, I guess the, the, yeah, just having to bring people's days a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's something that not a lot of people really think that, that Mm. we have to deal with, but Mm. yeah, that's definitely, there's nothing worse than when you're flipping through a collection, trying to figure out how you're going to break the bad news to the person. That's the, probably my least favorite part. That that was more prevalent there as well, because generally the stuff was coming in there because that was a, that was a general auction house. So Mm -hmm. almost all the stamps that came in weren't very valuable. So it was, it's not like now, you know, obviously when people grow, then most of the time it's something valuable because, you know, people attract the serious stamp collectors, whereas there it was just a lot of the same the same conversation. And then that's why I try to go to, you know, to an actual 
stampy auction house as opposed to being a general auction house because then it's just stamps and there's more variety of stamps and not just you know the, the classic schoolboy album yeah five times a day kind of thing so uh, you've been with grosvenor for for seven years now or so um how how has um uh how has your um uh, appreciation of the hobby and appreciation of the work changed because obviously you know michael and i've uh, been doing this for a, a, a fairly short amount of time as well um, and, and I feel like we're still at the point where every day we learn something new and, you know, the, 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 the you know, growth curve is, is still exponential. So what has it been like for you these, um, you know, first, uh, you know, seven or so years at a, a serious auction house like Grosvenor? How has it been for you to, um, you know, really cut your teeth on this stuff? And, and how have you found yourself growing within the hobby? Um, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a great place to be growing. I think the, the thing that's really nice about Grosvenor is in some, I guess, in some Areas of philately is quite a lot of snobbiness and that malarkey, whereas Grosvenor's not like that at all. It's a very, it's a very relaxed, very nice environment to be in. So not only am I sitting doing my getting paid to do my hobby, it's also in a very, a very nice environment. Um, so it's you know, and the, my colleagues there, and you know, everyone's just very nice, and there's a very nice like learning environment. There's, it's just yeah, it's just nice to be around those kind of people. I mean, when I started, obviously, I mean. When I was at Sandefair, I mainly just did re-offers of older lots. I just went through them to see why they hadn't sold and see, you know, find if anyone, any faults had been missed, etc. So when I first started, I mean, I remember when I used to, I used to do my first descriptions and I used to give them to my colleague Charlie to look at and they would be mainly red pen when they came back. Just the whole lot would just be crossed out. Like, what are you doing, Constanza? Um, whereas now it's, yeah, yeah, it's nice now. I feel like now I've got a sort of, I think the last, like, yeah, I don't know if you have the thing where you have like last year or two where you suddenly go, I think I'm actually know what I'm doing now. I think I have, obviously you're still learning, but now when people come in, unless it's matrons, I'm not too horrible. You know, I can, I can pretty much deal with any. The matrons, I mean, we're trying to do matrons, but that's the thing at the minute. So um, Charlie, he's the one who does our matrons. He is, but he's about to retire. So he's trying to teach us all about matrons and we're all trying to desperately be interested, but I just can't. That's, I found my limit. I didn't think I had a limit with stamps, but that was, that's my limit. I think now we've, we've learned everything, but just not, not the matrons. So, I mean, that, that touches kind of upon a, a subject we've skirted on a lot of, lot of conversations before is the mentorship. So we talked to Ricky Vera, we talked to George James. Um, it, they, they all had these people that early in their careers kind of taught them how to describe auction lots or taught them how to, what to look for in philately that, that wasn't necessarily their specialty or anything like that would would you say your colleague charlie um because um, so that... charlie was mainly the G- he does he's mainly a gb kind of guy and then the guys at nst called glenn i mean he is the, an absolute powerhouse i mean he is particularly on things like postal history which i'm still i'm very i'm quite i'm very stampy but i'm not quite so hot on the postal history so he's the one i go to 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 learn about that and then obviously our chairman james as well so i've sort of i've had not not necessarily just one i've had the all of the older guys are, I say older, all of, the, all of my colleagues who are not that old, honest, um, <laughs> they've all sort of like chipped in in different ways because they've all got slightly different, um, you know, specialised specialised areas. Yeah. I mean, Glyn's remarkable. I mean, he started describing the year my mum was born. He's just been doing stamps for so long. <laughs> but um, So he's, he. I would say probably because, um, yeah, Glyn's probably the one that, that I've learned the most from. Um, but yes, they're, they're, yeah, they said there's been, yeah, Charlie, Charlie's a GB guy. Then yeah, Glenn for all the more the more the weird and the wonderful stuff, should we say, <laughs> That's definitely a benefit to having a larger auction company is you've got specialists in, in all kinds of different areas um, that, that can then train 
people that come in in the different areas, but I, I think the the specialist aspect of it is is something that is that people definitely benefit from from going to an auction house like that. Is are, are you focusing on a special area, or are, are you focusing on British Commonwealth or or anything? Um, not especially, because to a degree, I mean, you sort of can't. I mean, well, we have got a, you know actually a few describers. You do sort of have to remain largely a jack of all trades for my yeah. job. I mean, anything can come through the door. And in terms of full-time describers, I mean, Charlie, as I said, is about to retire. And so there's basically just me and Glyn on the office okay. describing. So it's I can't really go down too much of a one path because we have to do everything. I mean, we most of the material we get is largely British. We, you know, we, we, we have like the separate Great Britain auctions and we get a lot of Commonwealth. So... I guess that's what we do. That's what we do most of. So that's why I know the most about, just because that's the stuff that comes through the door. But um, we do pretty much largely have to know a little bit about everything. Yeah, <laughs> true. You uh, you stole my question, Michael. That was that was what I was oh. going to ask as well. Because uh, yeah, you know, you really don't know what you're what you're going to face. I mean, I, I'll find myself getting really interested in one thing, and then all of a sudden, it's very jarring to have to go from from one collection to the next. I find. Um, but you have to be adaptable and, um, you know, really you have to be on your toes a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's actually why I've, I've not really got a very serious collection of my own years because you just see something new and exciting every day and you'll go, oh, I'm going to collect this. And then half an hour later, you're like, oh, no, no, I'm going to collect that. So it's um, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like being in a sweet shop, isn't it? Just surrounded by all the lovely things. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So you guys are on the Strand. So do you work with any other, you know, Gibbons or any other auction houses or anyone else? Yeah, we're, the, we're in the same building as Stanley Gibbons because, okay. you know, obviously the strand of the wet, you know, all the stamp yeah. shops used to be. So there's, there's Gibbons are downstairs, we're upstairs, then directly across the road, there's the stamp shop. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know the Gibbons, you know, we all, we all know each other very well, as you know, stamps. It's yeah. an, it's a, everyone knows each other, basically. Like I was out with the Gibbons people having a little beverage yesterday. I mean, but um <laughs> But yeah, so we we don't work together necessarily. I mean, if we have a question, one of us, you know, you might ask someone down there or send them an email with a scan or something. But um, occasionally, yeah, when we're confused about something, we might we might ask them or another philatelist in the trade. But um, the the fact yeah. that the Strand has retained any sort of identity like that is uh, yeah. is wonderful because I mean, obviously, Nassau Street in New York has nothing left. Um, Cherry Stone just left Manhattan for New Jersey, so. Um, you know, New York used to be the, the center of the American trade, and, and that's completely dried up. The fact that there's even three places left on the yeah, strand. I think the one across the road might have gone, but I'm not sure what's going on. So it's, it was a, a little stamp shop, and I've heard rumors that it, got, it might have gone bust during the pandemic, but then someone might have bought it. So I'm really crossing my Because when I started, there were a couple more, because there was Vera Trinder, who was a specialist philatelic bookshop, but that's gone as well now. So just I'm hoping that the, the stamp shop does because it's nice to have just have other people around it's just I don't want to be the last lonely little stamp auction in London as you say it's not <laughs> want some friends yeah yeah I think that's an aspect that people don't really consider that much is that that everybody yeah everybody knows each other but people are still friendly with each other whether they are competing auction houses or competing dealers uh you know we know other dealers that we talk to about specific items charles and i send photos back and forth of different things it's more me asking for him for uh, assistance on things than than the other way but but yeah it is a it's a it's a friendly community it's a friendly hobby people work together to provide the best service to their 
customers regardless of how it's done. So I think that's, um, it's an interesting that's aspect. Nice, that's the nice thing about stamps is that most people are doing it because they just genuinely really love it. It's just a bunch of people getting paid to do their hobbies. So it's hard to get too cutthroat and evil when you're all just <laughs> having fun looking at stamps. It's like, yeah. yeah. My question is, and, and this is something that Michael and I, I, I assume Michael gets it a lot. I get it a lot. Um, and I'm sure you do as well is, um, how to get young people involved in the hobby at all, let alone working in the hobby. You tell your story about, you know, it, it seems very serendipitous. I studied geology, so I didn't have, I, 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 I did geology A level. <laughs> I, 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 I bailed on that to go into stamps and, and, you know, Bill Bergstrom, who I work with, he was a chemist. I feel like there's no, you know, you talk about your story, um, which which sounds a bit. Oh, scientists! Uh, There's a lot of scientists in stamps. Yeah, I think it's it, quite it's a it's a brain it, parallel. There's something in it, right? And it also proves that there's no one direct path. It's not all uh, art or history majors who go in. You know, there's really no um, direct path. So it frustrates me when uh, I don't want to sound rude to anybody who's asked me this, but it frustrates me when people say, "How do we get young people involved?" As if there's some magic uh quick fix to you know save the hobby in the future because again for me i i can't see myself doing anything else it, you know it seems like it was um predetermined in a way that i was going to go into this so what do you say to people when i'm not asking you what the way to get young people involved in the hobby is sort of a twist on the on the question what do you say to people because i'm sure that that's asked of you a lot how do we get other people to follow in your footsteps i mean it's it's a hard one because when i talk to people about my job they're all they all think it's amazing they're like oh wow that sounds so fascinating that's so interesting and stuff but um I mean it's just it's not like young people don't like collecting stuff it's not like you know like things like if you look at like Pokemon cards and all this malarkey it's not that like, I think it's just that connection has gone that initial connection you don't see stamps I mean kids under 20 I mean to them I mean what is a stamp but I mean, in terms of people asking me, I mean, I don't know. I, it's, it's a hard one because you also, you get them go quite negative about people. They'll get, they'll, you get a lot of people saying to you like, oh, why don't we people collect stamps? Because they're always on their phones. They just sit on their phones all day. And you're like, that's not, I mean, to a degree, yes, that's because phones contain a vast wealth of information. It's like, so it's normally, I feel like that question comes with a lot of connotations that young people just want to look at their phones and take selfies. But it's um, quite how we, I think it's that, you're not going to attract people with that kind of attitude towards young people, which I think it comes from a little bit is not always in from the nicest place thing. I mean, some people genuinely do want to, but then some people, again, they sort of, as I said, they sort of answer their own question by going, oh, well, they just don't care. They want to look at pictures on the internet and blah, 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 blah. But um, I guess it depends on the tone, yeah, which is asked. But um, to be honest, I don't really know why I say because I don't really, I don't really know. And I really wish I knew because it's a lot of fun. And it, it, it seems like there's no one size fits all uh, solution. I mean, you had your own journey. Uh, Michael had a more conventional journey with the family business, but I feel like we all uh, need to get here uh, in our own uh, very different ways. Um, but you, I, I think you're right that when that question is asked, and uh, you, you know, yeah, phones and video games, there's these certain scapegoats that are always blamed for the decline in stamp collecting. Um, and you're right, if somebody goes into it with that mindset, that. Yeah, I think it's also. Stamps can, it's not, I mean, when I started in stamps, it's not necessarily the most welcoming environment for a young person to some degree. I mean, being 
like when I was like 24, being a young woman, when you go to the Royal for the first time, and like it's a very, I mean, I guess it, we're obviously there's a few young people, but the majority of it is you go into a room full of old, quite generally quite introverted men because it's not really a hobby. Mostly, you know, it's a quite nerdy hobby to some degree. It's not really a hobby that's that you know, people, chatty people tend to go for. So it's a little bit, I guess, perhaps intimidating in that regard is that. If you're again like you're 21, I was a you know 24 year old woman like coming to these stamp shows and stuff at first. I mean, I'm confident as hell, and even I was a bit like, whoa, this is a very different dynamic. It's quite hard to first to sort of penetrate into a little bit. But um, so I guess that's probably part of an element as well. Is it's not again there is some some flatness great, and then again some of it is a little bit snobby in places. So I guess that's another another barrier. But um, no, yeah, com- completely the. It, there's definitely, I feel like we kind of, in the, the U.S., Charles and I got a leg up with joining the YPLF. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Alex Alex Simon kind of just let our, that first stamp show I ever went to was, was wildly intimidating. But without someone there who was like, it's okay, these people want you here, you know, take your hand and kind of introduce you to the people that you need to know in the beginning. And then it, it gets easier over time. But there definitely is that barrier to entry of of yourself in whether it be self-doubt or just you know whether it's not you're for me, just, just trying to get out of like the wife zone like for the first couple of years I was married to whichever man regardless of age whether they were 15 or like 60 I was their wife and it's I mean they they're the same people that ask these questions they go oh, why don't you people are coming and then you're saying what you think well for the first two years of me being in stamp she thought I was married to this bloke and I just kept turning up because I was lost it's like <laughs> <laughs> There's something about two or three years before people actually realise I was there because I like, you know, these shows because I like stamps. And again, not just because I just keep randomly walking into buildings for fun. It's like... <laughs> yeah. It, it, it does go both ways. Obviously, young people need to show the interest and young people need to, you know, make make that first move. But there does need to be a welcoming... There, there needs to be a, a, a career or a hobby or, uh, you know, a product on the other side that is... Um, engaging and welcoming you know it's a, it's very much a two-way street you can't lament no young people collecting and then uh continue on with the the mindsets that have prevailed for for decades yeah it's a personality as well you can't really force anyone into collecting you know how do we bring people how do we drag people in no it's just you expose them to it and if they're interested they'll they'll come and then when they come you be welcoming you show them that they can learn and that you're open to them learning and, and don't beat them over the head when they get something wrong. You know, it's a, it, it's, it's a process on, on both sides. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a, a give and take, but I, it's definitely a personality. I don't think anyone's in the hobby who was forced to be in the hobby, to my, to my knowledge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't think that's um I don't think that's how we're getting people. We talked a little bit in the introduction, I think before we were recording, about how business has been uh, generally good for the stamp trade over the last year, year and a half. Um how has it been for Grovner in particular to not have shows, to not have um you know, to not be able to travel as much what has it been like for you guys how have you adapted um and and uh you know are, are you looking forward to um you know someday soon with the, with the big show coming up next year in london you know what, what will it be like to um again sort of transition from from what we've all been doing the last year 15 months back to uh 
back to the way things were. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been particularly, I mean, I'm very sociable and very chatty. And I like people a lot. I mean, that's the thing I really love about my job is, is people. I mean, just getting to meet all the characters you get in stamps. So I personally, I mean, my colleague, Lynn, doesn't like people. He's, I don't think he's even noticed there's a pandemic on, whereas I'm the opposite. I like, <laughs> I miss it a lot. I mean, it's, we're getting, we've got a teeny bit of normality now. We had an auction um, last week and we had a whopping four people in the room. Can you believe it? Um, so that was nice to slowly have a little bit because when you're auctioneering as well auctioneering to an empty room is just the most depressing thing in the entire world because that, that's the main thing about growners also we in terms of like the London auction houses we get by far the most actual people coming to the auction we had to have a nice experience for auction day and that's our, I think one of our biggest sales that you can come to Grove and have a nice day see loads of people because we used to have only like 30 people in the auction room um, so for us as a company that's been the particular thing that's really you know not been very nice for us is to miss or seeing all the faces in the auction room um so i mean it's been it's strange to work because we've you know, obviously it's pushed a lot of our clients online and stuff so people that would never in a million years um have been online for example the amount of internet bidding and stuff we get now is makes everything a lot slower um so yeah it's just um i think it's just been yeah we just had to you have to go with it i mean we you know it's been difficult, I guess, because it's been, it's always harder to get the material in. That's always the harder side of the business is finding the material to sell. But then when you also can't go to people's houses and stuff. And I think people, a lot of people with collections, they want to meet you to get that. They don't, they don't just post and they want to meet you and, you know, check you out and make sure, you, you know, they get the vibe from you that you're honest and legit and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's just been plodding, plodding on. And, and as I said, now there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel where, you know, I was hoping to come across to America for the for the you know the big show in August, but that's looking I think less and less likely by the day. They thought that the, the USA might be on our um, you know, have a, like a, a green amber whatever system, but um, unfortunately America wasn't added to it. So that beacon of, of hope has just gone down slightly. But um, I think yeah, it's slowly starting to because we've obviously got very high vaccination rates, etc. Um, I think there's hope for a couple of stamp shows in the summer moving. Hmm. So I. I've- I later want to go back to the the point of people in the auction bidding on on uh, on lots and everything because I I love that and I feel like we're slowly getting away from that and I love that you guys still have that but I want to focus on something that you just mentioned that I don't think we've really talked about that much before which is visiting people to pick up their collections and speaking to people about their collections making them feel comfortable about their um, about the the lots they're consigning so. Before the pandemic, I assume this this happened quite regularly with you and uh, and Glenn in being the two kind of chief describers. Would you kind of what was the process for going to view people's collections? About I assume give them a rough estimate and bring them back. Yeah, it depends what I mean. It varies greatly on who they are, what they've got. I mean, some people, if it's like an estate, they just generally want yeah, out of the house. They're like so, and you know partners died dad's died whatever they just want it out they don't care just just get me the most money for my stamps where it's it's generally people who are collectors that want you to go and have a look and have a chat and some a lot of people have an idea in their head about how they like it lot some people you know they're working breaking down loads some people want it as bigger collections blah blah, blah. so um some people you know want a single cut a lot as a like a cover as a single lot so their mate can buy it because their mate's been eyeing it up for years um so yeah generally I mean, Glenn doesn't do a lot of visits. So generally, my colleague, either Stuart Billington or I, would go to things. I've just got a car, actually, so I can happen to do a lot more visits. But um, generally, if it sounds exciting, this is the other thing. I, do, I guess you all have the same issue where 
it can it can be hard sometimes to, to try and gauge if it's worth going to something it's a very when you get you know like a few pictures and you're like oh well that could be maybe not so yeah just trying to work out whether to a degree whether it's worth actually going to financially because while I do love stamps and people you also have to remember that it is a business and if you go to every single call you get then you're gonna stop making money pretty quickly but um yeah so generally it would be uh, one of us would go and have a look and sort of see if it's for us see if they want to sell see what they're wanting etc to make sure it's actually going to be because some people again will have very high expectations you'll go and they'll think it's worth a hundred thousand you can immediately see it's worth like 20 and then to try and because that's obviously try and iron out things like that beforehand um so again then we'd generally bring it back to their offices and describe it there and yeah goes goes to auction cross our fingers yeah i feel like things have have changed a lot from when i kind of started to get into the hobby in that regard uh, to where they are now with what you mentioned with you know if you go to every single deal you're going to lose money what what my father and I used to do was put together 20 deals at once and go drive down to Florida see 20 people at once and drive back but it would take us about a month or two months to put all that together but now that that was back when I was 15 I'll say 16 years old so I could help drive the car but now it, it's a lot I don't want to say more maybe more competitive is the correct term where we we can't wait that long anymore for deals to accumulate over months or you know if you if you call someone uh, they're in Florida their collection is right on the fence of whether or not you should go by itself so you try to put something else together to go see it and by the time you call them back to say okay I've put a trip together to come see you uh, Florida you know, 1500 miles away from where we are, you know, it's a two day drive. Um, they, they've already given it to another auction house or they've sold it to another dealer. And that's a lot more common now than it used to be. Do you find the same? Yeah. I mean, I, I find it, the main thing for me is it's particularly is to make sure that people, even if they don't sell through Grover, they do make the right choice about what they're doing. Cause it's very, yeah. I guess you're the same thing. It's very difficult when you, someone might mention on the phone, the names that you know is someone dodgy. No, 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 there's obviously there's not many people in stamps that, that are genuinely, you know, yeah, iffy. But every yeah. now and then you do get those awkward calls where they're like, "Oh, well, I'm thinking of you," or insert name here, and you're like, oh, "No, no, because <laughs> you can't really say anything, but right. you also don't want people to get, you know, in in trouble no, in that regard." But um, it is, yeah. I mean, there is a there is a lot, of, particularly for like when the you know some well-known people die and things like that, and it comes to market, etc. There is there is definitely competition, but um. I think that's why I do well. I mean, I do well because people, I think, once they start speaking to me, they can sense that I'm just genuinely very excited about stamps. I mean, some of the people in the industry, you know, they're more like business people who know a little bit about stamps, whereas I'm predominantly a philatelist who knows a bit about business. So <laughs> when it comes to those situations, I think once people start talking, they do realise that I just genuinely love stamps. So that's, yeah, but it, it is definitely, yeah, there's definitely a lot of, quite a bit of shopping around for some people and you sometimes wish they would be a little bit more open with you when they're shopping around because mm -hmm. you know but um yeah. that's you know that's that would be the dream but obviously that's not how, how the world works yeah yeah exactly so if i may touch back upon the the auction house part where people coming in how has that been lately because in in the states i feel like once some places went online the the numbers dipped dramatically for for attendance or I know specific auctions that I used to go to where they weren't online for and I started going there and there were 
50 people in the room sometimes. And then, then as soon as they went online, I was one of 10 people in the room. And the prices doubled uh, for all the auction lots, which is fantastic. But the number of people attending the auctions um, dropped. I'm very interested to see what, what our auctions are like when when people can come to just so, so I can come to things freely. I'm very interested to see what it will be like. I mean, I'm as I said, I really hope we do manage to keep our room attendance as it was before. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it, I don't know which way because some people seem to be going with the pandemic. Some people are just very nervous about re-entering normal life and some people seem very desperate to get out of the house. And I've got like, you know, people that want to just pop in from like Norfolk and stuff and up north <laughs> just because they want to, they don't even want to buy anything. They just want to get out of the house and just, you know, come and sit in the auction room. So um, again, yeah, I'm, I, I really hope that it doesn't all go online, but I think I get a, a feeling that it probably will. I mean, again, some of the clients that we've had that can, be, you know, before the pandemic could barely use a computer and now they're online bidding. It's, um, I mean, it's good in a way because the internet and the, you know, it's, it's good to have people who can actually use computers and that they've been forced to. That's been a good side effect, I think, of it. But I just don't, I just want the real stamp shows and I want real people in real auction rooms. When you talk about calling a sale to an empty room, that's, um, it, 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 for me at least, throws off my, uh, you sort of go into a, uh, get into a zone and you get into a pattern of, of and when you're um, basically just staring at a computer screen waiting for the, the next bid to come in, it, it really, um, I, I think, takes away a lot of the, um, uh, again, just, there, there's a repetition and a rhythm to it that is really easy to fall into when you've got people on the phones and the floor and everything. And again, when it just um, comes down to looking at a computer screen, even though the bids are, the bids are great, you know, from a, from a purely financial standpoint, I'm not going to complain if two people are going at it online um but just in a in a um it's almost, uh, again, it almost negates the need for an auctioneer when you've just got internet bidding in a book i mean <laughs> it's yeah, almost you, like why am i even here just gonna have a cup of tea I mean, yeah sometimes i just sit there and wait for it to you know again you can see even when the person passes on a lot so you just sit there and wait and then call out whatever the, the high bid is i i agree that it um it it, it uh, certainly makes us more disposable in a way yeah definitely i just um yeah, want want proper auctions back, please. Again, it was so, it was just having four people was the, the biggest luxury of my life. I'm like four real humans in a room. It's great. <laughs> so I guess this would be a question for the for the both of you is is how do you you know you described how how you feel when you're calling an auction to to an empty room, but how do you feel the auction progresses? I know as you said it it's slower, but do you feel like the overall I mean, I guess it's tough to to gauge the anxiety or adrenaline of the bidders when you can't actually see them. But do you feel like it's more uh, lively when there are people in the room? Or do you feel like the people bid more aggressively when they're online? Well, no, I mean, definitely in the room, you can see them glaring at each other, you know, when they're big against each other, you can see the glares and the... And I, get that. and I guess when you can see a person physically, you can see them there and they're, how dare they outbid you and they, then you have to go. So I think being, I think I mean, people think it's beneficial in that regard is that yeah. people will just egg each other on. And, you know, there's the little rivalries between collectors and between dealers and stuff. And they want to want to win the lots and show that they've got the most money and all this. And um, I guess, yeah, you can't really have that atmosphere when you're when you're bidding online. So I think, yeah, definitely. I think I'd rather have room bidders in terms of getting getting the best results. But I mean, again, it's been... Price-wise, I mean, our auctions has been ridiculous. Some of the think prices stuff has been going for. So, as you said, I've got no, no complaints. Read the prices during the pandemic. 
Uh, Charles, would I mean, do you feel that? I, I, I would echo that. There, there's a lot of fun interplay when you've got a room full of people. And you get, yeah, you watch the little relationships and rivalries play out. And even, the, you know, when you when the auctioneer locks eyes with someone trying to see whether, you know, trying to predict whether they're going to go one more uh, step or not. Those are all fun little things, um, especially for someone. I, 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 yeah, I, I love reading body language and stuff. And, and when you, again, maybe people, you know, on the other hand, there's probably people who feel more, comfortable bidding strongly in anonymity on the internet they can sit back on their couch with a with a snack or a a beer or something and and um you know maybe they feel a bit uh safer being um out of the public's view um but i i again there's you can't really replace that uh the the tension is is very um palpable when you're in a room with people and i i like that Actually, it's quite, it can be quite a fun um, dynamic between the room and the internet because you can see the room getting more and more frustrated that this, this anonymous person, did you say, that's hiding behind the internet outbidding them. Yeah, but when it's just two internet bidders, it's, um, again, I, 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 you know, we have to come to the realization that that'll become more and more common. Um, but it, there's, a, there's a certain element that's, that's lost, and I think that's a bit of a shame. Yeah. I feel like I know the answer to this question before I even ask it, but would either of you ever consider kind of one specific auction, just no online bidders, just everybody has to show up? <laughs> no, I know the answer to the question before I even ask it, but you know, the idea is kind of how it, how it used to be phone bidders. Sure. But, but kind of, you know, if you want the, the, the auction lots come to the auction. You know, I mean that, I mean that in my dream world, I mean, I mean, in my dream world, Grove would have been London. It had been Stockport, and you know, people would be forced to come to the auctions and talk to each other and have a nice time. But like, um, unfortunately, not everyone's as yeah. chatty and northern as me. So, that's not how the world works. I always thought it would be a fun idea to try that. One, obviously, you'd have to get permission from the consigner right. that um, this was going to be a, a huge risk. But I thought for an anniversary of, of Harmers or something, that would be fun to try um, a throwback auction with. I, I, I would always love to have an actual. Um, book in front of me as well where i actually enter the bids by hand and don't have to rely on what the computer screen tells me to open oh, the bidding we, app. Have that. we still have that we still have a physical auction but we have it's a bit confusing now because we now have our physical auction book with all the bids on that have been posted in and emailed in but then we also have an internet book as well now so people bid online but they can also leave um, bids on that auction book so now you're having to look at the two books and work out a starting price from from two books it's very my brain hurts quite a lot after the auction <laughs> I should do. I mean, like, should do. You know, in the first auction, you know, when they do the candles that burn down, like, should go really, go really old fashioned. <laughs> I think that would be even if a, yeah. a lot of the auction houses came together and did this more as a novelty, as a tribute to the history of the hobby than anything else. Um, it might be fun for everyone to kick in a couple of lots and and hold a, uh, yeah, turn of the nineteenth century auction. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a terrific idea. It might be easier to to do when you're at a stamp show, so more people are there, and in general, but. But yeah, I think that that's something that the whole hobby is almost based on this feeling of nostalgia. You look at stamps, and this is what history used well, to not be. Not too like. far back, it wasn't one of the first auctions of women. I think they were they they did like the the quite nice women first, and then they the other way around. I think that's a, I think a little bit of nostalgia, but not. not I don't want to get souls just as a <laughs> just as a thing. We won't go back that far. Yeah, Maybe not, that, yeah. not that far. <laughs> so, so my my last question is. Um, uh, you, you know, you've been you've been in this hobby um, almost a decade now. Where do you see yourself going from here? What are your what are your aspirations? What are your goals? You know, wh- you know, wh- where would you like to? Cause it sounds like uh, things are going great at Grovener, but but 
um, if, again, if you had to look, you know, five, 10 years down the line, what are your, um, what are your hopes for your own personal development within the hobby? Um, I think it's just to learn more stuff. I know that's quite obvious, but just, you know, to keep learning and keep, particularly, as I said, I'm not so strong on postal history. So I think I've got to try and collar Glenn more and get Glenn to share more of his postal history secrets. I think I just want to just, yeah, keep Grover on the path it's on where we've built, you know, we have a company that's just a very nice place to work and I want to you know keep that very nice environment that we have and I think we have a good reputation for being enthusiastic and you know all that kind of stuff so I think I just just continue with more of the same of just you know learning about stamps meeting lots of people with stamps and yeah just having having a nice time is that a good aspiration just have a nice time yeah yeah (laughs) But when, when when your work feels like a hobby, I think that's a that's a very yeah. realistic you know goal to have. Is I mean, I, I still don't feel like I go to work. I don't think Michael does. You certainly don't sound like you, um, you know, feel like you have to go to work every day. It's a it's a a, a privilege to get to um, play around in this hobby every day. So I, I think that's as good an aspiration as as any in yeah. philately. Yeah, absolutely. But thank you so much for uh, for for coming to talk to us. Um, for taking the time out and um, and chatting with us today, and 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 I don't know how um, how August is going to look with the APS show. My girlfriend lives in Northern Ireland, so I've been watching the the red and green and amber lists closely just to try and get her over here. Um, and yeah, August isn't looking as good as it could have. Um, but certainly, whenever you get over to the states for a show again, we'd love to. Um, again, maybe the three of us can can gather around and um, continue our conversation in person and. Uh, you know, have to look at our phones. We have to just go on our phones, remember? <laughs> Being millennials, <laughs> talk to each other. No, we can we can text each other at the show, and that yeah. can be a whole episode. <laughs> that way, we can fulfill everyone's um, uh, stereotypes of us. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much, um, and I wish you the the best of luck with your future auctions. I know you've been um, you just completed an auction, right? Yeah, the GB sale was last week. Yeah, congratulations on uh, it. I saw briefly online that the prices realized just knocked it out of the park, right? Yeah, I know. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, some, it was some really nice material. Actually, it was a lot of it was from um, one big estate, and he just had some really cool, really like way out stuff. I mean, like he had a collection of like horse revenues, horse duty revenues, and I've seen maybe one in seven years, seven or eight years in stamps, and he had like thirty of these. And there were those things that were because they're so rare. But then you have. All of a sudden, you have like thirty ones. It makes them look not rare, even though they are incredibly rare. So yeah, yeah. just like you know, the lovely collection of railways and just and then like a lot of Oxford and Oxford and Cambridge material, which is quite interesting as well. So you know, just lots of lots of really quirky stuff in the auction. It was very a very nice auction. Yeah. Well, uh, congratulations on the success of that, and um, and good luck on all your future auctions. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Mike, I really enjoyed that conversation. I thought that was fantastic. Um, I. I the more we talk to people, the more I realize that there is no, there's no way to get, there's no one way to get young people involved because yeah. how would you anticipate that a physics student at Oxford would end up working for Grovner? Um, there's By like picking no, up a, picking up a set of stamps at a flea market. Like a charity shop. Yeah. How, yeah. how does that, how do you get yeah. from point A to point B? And, um, you know, maybe there is something, you know, you talk about the science thing, geology, chemistry, physics, maybe there is something in the way our, our brains are wired. But uh, again, you have a 15 a year old girl, I think, who, who picked up stamps, uh, you know, cheaply because there was a tea set on them. Yeah. And all of a sudden she's working full time at Grovener. 
you know, I, I think this is what people miss when they say, how do I get young people to work in the hobby? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think any of us could have predicted our own, our own paths and hearing her story and how serendipitous it all seems was, uh, was really, really interesting. To me. Yeah. It, 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 it's all about exposure. I, I really think it is. It, it's all about exposing, you know, putting stamps in weird places, you, you know, just exposing people to, you don't know where those seeds are going to, um, germinate yeah. down the line. If somebody sees a stamp as a, a young kid or as a 15 year old or whatever, you're right. You don't, you know, you, you cannot become a philatelist if you don't know what a postage stamp is. Yes. That doesn't mean if you know what a postage stamp is, you will become a philatelist, but there's no chance even, yeah. uh, unless you do have that early exposure. Right. Yeah, exactly. The, the, and, and I feel like, I feel like it's one of those things where, you know, you take Spanish in high school because you have to. And then once you leave high school, uh, you know, you want to know Spanish. You say, oh, that's, you know, if it's forced upon you, it's just not, it's not going to stick. Right. There's a lot of books in like high school English class where, um, I didn't want to read it at the time because my professor, my teacher was making me write an essay on the book report. But then I go revisit that book now and I'm like, oh, I wish I'd paid attention to this in high school. I, I think stamps are the same. You yeah. you can lead a horse to water. Yep. But you can't make him drink. Too true. I really like that conversation, not only because we talked about young philatelists, but but because we got to talk a little bit about auction houses and we got to talk I, a little I, bit about the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. I feel like I'm so inside sometimes, like yeah. doing this day in and day out. It's nice to talk to somebody else who does it uh, on a different continent and hear mm-hmm. what's the same and what's different. And yep. yeah, it's great to be able to talk about these things. Speaking of uh, behind the scenes stuff, we've got a super interesting episode coming up in a couple weeks. I don't know when exactly it'll air, but we're recording it in a while. Uh, you're actually, do you, do you want to talk a bit about this or should I? You're actually coming up here. To work I am. On collection I'm, I'm, I'm coming up to New Hampshire. We've got this collection, 50, 50 85, cartons. something, a lot of cartons, yeah. uh, many, many cartons. Um, and Michael and I are going to, uh, you know, dig through, wade through this stuff and try and figure out what's what and what's going to be sold by Noble Spirit and what's going to be sold by Harmers. And, uh, what are things worth? And I think it'll be fun to give people a look at what goes into breaking down a collection this voluminous. A lot of people are yeah. used to having their album or two. Here's, again, dozens of yeah. bankers boxes yeah. that we're going to have to um, uh, make heads and tails of. And uh, the fact that Claire will be recording that whole process, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So the long story short, a dealer contacted Charles and said, Hey, I've got this collection. That's got some great stuff for HR Harmer, but then some bulk material as well. That, it might that be better interested. somewhere else. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, Hey, I know a guy. Yeah. So um, that, I'm excited because this is the first thing that we're going to be working on together. So this is, I, I agree. This is this will be a lot of fun. We we talk so much. We bounce ideas off of each other. Yeah. Now we get to um, you know, go into business together, so to speak. I think it'll be a lot of fun, and we're excited to have everyone along for the ride. But I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I'm excited to hit yeah. the road and and come up and see you. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, but until then, people can yeah. find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podcasts, YouTube, flatlypodcast.com, flatlypodcast at gmail.com, Twitter. Uh, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, you name it, we're there. Yep, too true, too true. Michael, I'll talk to you real soon. Uh, Looking forward to the next episode. All right, see you then. See you.